If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Golf Unfiltered podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Cog Hill Golf and Country Club. I am so excited to partner with them once again in 2022 because they've got a lot of great stuff going on, including an entirely redesigned and renovated driving range and practice area. It's got Top Tracer. It's got what, like 42 heated bays, individually heated, by the way, and it's even got a food truck and much, much more, such as two bars. Yeah, that's right. Go out to coghillgolf.com today to learn a little bit more, and of course, you already know about all their great golf courses, coghillgolf.com. We're also pleased to continue to work with our friends at worldwidegolfshops.com. You've heard me talk about them many times before. They've got everything you need for golf. They've got apparel, accessories, training aids, all the new equipment. They've got deals like every single day. And going out to WorldwideGolfShops.com might just help you improve your game this golf season. WorldwideGolfShops.com Welcome to the Golf Unfiltered Podcast, your source for all things golf, including in-depth interviews, new equipment highlights, and answers to golf questions you might be too afraid to ask. My goal? To help you learn more about the game so you can enjoy it even more. Let's dive in. Great, right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show, uh, to an early episode or a bonus episode this week, which way you look at it is uh, really all a matter of perspective. But I knew I had to get another episode out on this topic because it is the topic that everyone is talking about in professional golf. Uh, the Super Golf League, the Saudi Arabia backed league that is essentially taking over golf conversation as we know it. And one of the voices that wrote an excellent piece on lying4.com entitled Blind Men and Blood is Will Bardwell, the creator of lying4.com. Will and I have had the chance to uh, get to know each other a little bit better over the last year. Uh, We chat pretty frequently, and I think you'll find in today's conversation that he's got a lot of great input. Uh, He's a very, uh, he's got a very historical mind. He thinks through all of his articles to a uh, level that uh, I, in my opinion, puts him in the elite golf media right now. So sit back and relax, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Will Bardwell. All right, folks, welcome back to the show. As I said in the introduction, joining me today is a a new friend of mine. We've just recently been able to correspond more recently, Will Bardwell of Lying4.com, the internet's Will Bardwell. How are you, sir? (laughs) I'm doing great, man. What about you? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Just trying to keep up with all this news regarding the Super Golf League. And you the recently what? I heard of it. <laughs> the not so Super Golf League, according to Rory. Uh, you wrote a really, really excellent piece, uh, Blind Men in Blood, on your website, lying4.com, that details exactly from, well, at least from your point of view, what's going on uh, with this whole thing. We will dive into that. But before we do, as a golf fan, I just have to ask, what's your your overall feeling about this division, this new world order, perhaps, that's being created in this golf association that we've been following for so many years? Well, did you ever play Skyrim? 
I don't oh, know yeah. if you're much of a video game guy. I very so much for, am. So for anybody who has never played Skyrim, Skyrim is basically like civil war for Vikings uh, between these two like, religious groups that are Vikings. And there's lots of snow and dragons and magic. But at the, at the base of it, it's like these two religious groups having a civil war. And they're Vikings, which is why it's awesome. Um, but, you know, you, you start out the game in the middle of the civil war and um, at some point in the game, you have to pick a side and whichever side you pick kind of determines how the game plays out for as long as you play it. And um, the more you play the game leading up to this decision, the more you see that neither side is very sympathetic. They're, they're both very unlikable. Um, speaking of unlikable situations, my three-year-old just woke up from a nap. So I apologize for any back, uh, background screaming. No worries. Um, but I kind of feel the same way about this uh, dispute between the Super Golf League and the PGA Tour. Basically, at some point, you have to decide which side you're going to join. And neither of them are very sympathetic. Uh, there's a lot to dislike about both sides. But um, at some point, you, you just have to choose. And I kind of feel the same way about this tension between the PGA tour and the super golf league. I, I don't particularly care for either of them. I don't find either one sympathetic. I find one of them far more reprehensible than the other. And I I think they're, that's kind of where I landed when this whole thing started that I didn't like either one, but I kind of liked the potential for chaos and the PGA tour having to grapple with that. Uh, I think perhaps there are still a lot of people who are in that position who say, well, this uh, Saudi effort isn't good, but neither is the PGA Tour, and anything that causes chaos for the Tour is okay with me. Um, but where I have finally landed on it is that the the Tour is far and away the lesser of two evils. And... Um, and so if I've, if I've got to, you know, to circle back to the Skyrim analogy, if I got to pick one of them, I guess I'm picking the tour. Yeah, I, I feel similar to you in that regard. And a lot of players are talking, at least now, are coming out and saying that the PGA Tour, there's a lot that needs to change. And that seems to be the basis for whatever leverage they're attempting in the case of Phil Mickelson or or whomever and and as we are recording right now the week of the genesis invitational news continues to break as players are coming off of the course after round one are being asked the obvious questions and offering additional sound bites but did you ever get the impression that the pga tour was this quote-unquote bad or as bad as they're leading on as a fan yeah i've always like I don't think you have to watch the PGA tour very long before you start to um, start to be confronted with some enormous hurdles that the tour puts up between its product and fans who want to consume it. It's hard to find the PGA tour when you want to watch. Once you start watching from week to week, it is mostly the same thing. And that same thing, by the way, is usually not super exciting. You got to really love golf to want to watch the PGA tour. Um, it doesn't attract a ton of new people. So where was I? 
it doesn't attract what was the question? A, it doesn't attract yeah, yeah. a lot of new people and and I mean it, it's coming across as if this is really a bad thing for not only the product as viewers but also the players that partake in it. Yeah, oh yeah, it's, yeah. So like what's to dislike about the tour? I mean, you Now, as a player, if you're, you know, if you're Phil or whatever, I the only thing to dislike about the tour is the fact that there is now a a bigger operation out there willing to throw even more money at you. Uh, that is a, a new phenomenon though, until this whole Saudi effort raised its head. Uh, if you were a player on tour, you had virtually nothing to complain about. I understand the, the idea that is sort of lurked around for a while that top players are underpaid relative to, uh, you know, players farther down in the world rankings. Uh, I've never been terribly sympathetic to that, but, um, the the real gripe here is not that the you know, for the Phil Mickelsons of the world the, the real complaint here is not that the PGA Tour uh, is overly selfish in its media rights the the real gripe here is that they can make more money from the Saudis than they can from Ponte Vedra. Yeah, very true, very true, and it's becoming more clear that that is that is where the battle lines are being drawn with this whole thing. And, and so, as we talk more about your 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 article here. Uh, online4.com. Again, it's uh, blind men and blood. The take that you provide is more than a take. It's a historical background on the concept of sports washing, which even Phil Mickelson agreed in an art in a uh, interview with Alan Shipnuck of the Fire Pit Collective that that is what this is. He understands that, and in hearing that information, how does that emphasize the points that you provided in your piece? Well, it underscores, first of all, what an unlikable person Phil Mickelson is, Mm -hmm. that he could go in completely wide-eyed. And and look, they all are. Whoever winds up signing up for this thing is going to know exactly what they're signing up for, but that he would openly acknowledge what this thing is and would still be unwilling to uh, to step away from it really is the is the perfect exclamation point for his career because the, he has been a terrible person this whole time he has benefited from some of the best public relations any golfer has benefited from in my lifetime but he is an absolute dirt bag and I'm glad at the end of his career he is making that case for everyone to remember him as a dirt bag yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's unfortunate because there, you put it really nicely. It's unfortunate because there is this PR machine that exists behind all of these top players. Tiger, uh, for example, not to lump him in, but it, he definitely has a fantastic PR machine behind him as well. And it's these players that we have held at such high regard, at least play wise, what they do on the course that is now almost secondary to the people we are truly seeing. And this is perhaps to the extreme, but never let a good opportunity go to waste for some of these guys. Is that kind of what we should take from this? You know, I think this is one of the ironies that springs from the tours, extremely successful practice over the past 25, 30 years. I guess you'd have to ask some of the older reporters when it changed, when it became, um, 
more protective of the players on tour, made it harder for golf journalists to get in with them. But the tour has successfully defended these players from um, from real journalistic scrutiny for so long that I think it must be shocking to some of the guys involved in this Saudi venture that all of a sudden they are facing tremendous public blowback for something. You know, that that is, that is not something that the PGA tour allows to happen very often for, you know, through a variety of, of very successful mechanisms. Uh, and so it, it must be shocking to someone like Bryson DeChambeau to suddenly find himself uh, taking so much fire for something because that, you know, that's not something that usually goes on on tour. I'm not sure if it's irony or bad coincidence that this whole thing with the Super Golf League and the Saudis is happening at the same time that the Winter Olympics in uh, Beijing are occurring, and they are certainly not without their own attempts at making things seem a lot better than they are. Is is this, and you point this out nicely in your piece as well, is this the moment in your mind that we can put to bed the keep politics out of sports? <laughs> yeah, well, as someone explained to me uh, in one of the interviews I did for the story, that, you know, there's this notion of trying to keep politics and and sports separated not only are they not separate they're they're married they're married with children they it, sports and politics are impossible to separate you know one of the you, you mentioned the fact that these two things are overlapping um when you compare modern day efforts at sports washing to the original sports washing effort which is Germany's hosting of the 1936 Olympics. Uh, one thing that regimes do really well today that it never occurred to the Nazis to do, which is to, to make sports washing permanent, to not treat mega events like the Olympics as a one-off opportunity. You know, um, Saudi Arabia has spent more than a billion and a half dollars now over the past several years to bring high level elite sports into Saudi Arabia to put on a good show for uh, Western investors. China has been doing it for even longer than Saudi Arabia. It has hosted more than two dozen NBA preseason games. It's had the WGC event. It had PGA tour events even before that. Um, It has now hosted two Olympics in what, 15 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the fact that these two things are overlapping on the one hand, yeah, it's, it's remarkable in that there are these two blatantly obvious examples of sports washing going on at the same time. At the same time, these are constant now, you know, these regimes do this 365 days a year. And so I guess we shouldn't be surprised that there are two notorious examples of it happening at the same time, because it's always going on at the same time. Another argument that I've read, and I know you have as well, um, regarding the players themselves, their independent contractors, the whole element of they can go make their money wherever they want, which is true. And 
that's not necessarily being brought into question, but more so it's this this, this moral uh, question that has come up for these guys uh, that we never had to deal with before as fans. Um, how do we digest that? How do we digest that these golfers who we, again, I said earlier, have put on a pedestal, have been uber success, uh, successful on the PGA Tour, but now it's almost, well, wait, they're, they're actually greedy. Well, I mean, one thing you'd have to concede about, say, you know, a player on an NBA roster who goes over to China for an NBA preseason game. He didn't choose that. You know, the NBA decided which games to to hold over in China, you know, and maybe the, the folks in his team's front office contributed to those conversations, but you know, he didn't make that decision. Um, you know, he, he can only play where his employers tell him to play. The PGA Tour members are a completely different animal. You know, the, the fact that they're independent contractors, in my view, releases them from any obligation to go play for uh, a regime that is you know, simply interested in golf because it's an opportunity to, uh, to distract from atrocities. So, the, you know, they, yeah, they're independent contractors, but in my view, that's, that's all the more reason that this is avoidable. In, in, in regard to the uh, ripple effect if that's what's going to happen here. And I believe that it will, but we've already heard that the PGA tour is thinking of making changes one way or another to sweeten the pot a little bit for their players. We've had players already pledge allegiance, John Rahm, Colin Marikawa, Tiger Woods, most notably to the PGA tour. Do, do you see positive change coming out of this? Could this be a positive leverage type deal? Or are we basically just dealing with two separate factions from here on out? It's a great question. Um, on the one hand, if the Saudis want to get into this business, they're going to get into this business. No one on the planet is ever going to be able to outspend them in this effort or, or almost anything else. I mean, the, mm -hmm. The public investment fund, which is the uh, the fund from which the Saudi regime uh, recruits economic efforts to their country outside the, the petroleum industry, is a fund valued at about half a trillion dollars. Oh. It's it's an unspeakably massive amount of money. No one is ever going to outspend them. You know the. <laughs> The, the PGA Tour can do whatever they want to the cash bath at the Tour Championship at the end of every summer, but they're never going to be able to touch $500 billion. Um, on the other hand, I am, I'm glad to see there are still members of the PGA Tour who, who realize that you know, it, there is a, a point at which I've got enough zeros at the end of my bank account and that another hundred million dollars is not going to appreciably change my life. Um, so yeah, I, I think, 
I, I doubt either one of these entities kills the other. I don't know that the the Super Golf League is going to uh, be an existential threat to the PGA Tour, but you know, ne- neither one of them is going away. So I, I guess we are sort of setting ourselves up now for. Uh, I hate to reduce this to wrestling, but it's almost like a WCW WWF situation where neither one is ever going to uh, defeat the other. It's a, it's an adequate analogy. And I know you and I uh, were old school wrestling fans and the whole NWO uh, element of this is very, very evident, at least in my, it's hard to ignore. It's hard to ignore. It's hard to ignore. It's hard to even place who's Hollywood Hogan and, and the others, but, um, Oh no, I think that's an easy man. Um, <laughs> Phil is Hogan. That's easy. I mean, Hogan was by the time the NW, I'm sorry to like hijack. Please, no, it's here. no. So by the time Hogan, uh, joined the NWO in 96, mm-hmm. He was not only on like the back end of his career, he was on like the back of the back end of his career. Right. You know, he got to WCW in 94. Um, it was to a point where the WWF fans completely rejected him by this point. In pretty short order, WCW fans did too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, he was done. Yeah. And then the NWO came along and, you know, it, it stretched his career out another five years, arguably more if you, if you count what he did in WWE after that. Mm-hmm. So he's Mickelson, you know, in the, in the locker room, he was a dirt bag yeah. past his prime and then managed to squeeze uh, a few more productive years out of it. May have been a so sex tape. We don't know that about Phil yet, but you know, well, uh, well life is long. <laughs> um, so he's Hogan Nash and Hall. That's a really good one. I haven't thought about those two. You need two guys who are kind of joined at the hip Mm -hmm. locker room cancers um, would be better analogy. If at least one of them had a drug problem. Um, Bryson or is he China? I don't know. Yeah. Let me. um, Oh, Bryson has definitely got some Sean Waltman qualities to him. Um, Although the, his, frame at this point is not very Sean Waltman-esque. Uh, l- let me sleep on that. But the Hogan one is easy. I would That's agree. Phil. Yeah, that, that makes sense to me too. So, well, uh, to get back on track, uh, <laughs> although that was fun. Thank you. Um, <laughs> journalists play a role in this. You point this out in your piece as well, very nicely. Um, the way that golf will be reported, the way that uh, this element will be broadcast, which there are rumors swirling that I won't disclose here where that may happen. Um, what does, what role do we play in this? Do we, do we play a role at all? Well, broadly speaking, if people covering golf consider themselves to be journalists, then yeah, absolutely. There has to be a role. Now I think the more difficult questions start to pop up at a more granular level. Um, so let's start with the big question. Um, if you can accept that this whole Super Golf League effort exists only because a repressive regime wants to distract from systemic human rights violations, then like, that seems like the most obvious thing 
to include in, in any journalistic review of this that comports with traditional ethics of journalism. It would be impossible to tell this story without also acknowledging that. Now, if you accept that, how do you go about doing that? Like, how do you go about writing a, an 18-inch gamer that explains what happened at Royal Green's golf club on, in the second round? Um, that That is a more difficult store, uh, question. Uh, the only comp that I've been able to come up with is how the uh, White House press corps had to adopt the practice during the Trump administration of explicitly clarifying that some of the president's statements were verifiably false. Mm -hmm. Um, That was something that people covering administrations in Washington never had to do. It's the only thing I can recall that is anywhere close to uh, the sort of context that would be necessary here to fully tell the story. What that looks like in this context, I'm not completely sure about because it's not a clean comp, but it's the closest thing I've been able to come up with. Now, here's another question that has occurred to me, Adam. Mm -hmm. Uh, it didn't occur to me until after I published the story, actually, which is say you're say you're a journalist, you know, you're working for Golf Digest or Golf Channel and you kind of commit to the idea of covering these events, but also being honest about what this is all really about. How do you do that safely? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a regime that has murdered journalists who are critical of it. And if you're in Riyadh, you're in the country, and you want to write a story that, A, tells you know what happened in the second round at Royal Greens, but also you want to provide some context, like, how do you do that without putting yourself in danger? And I don't know. Mm-mm. Yeah, no, nor do but I. It's a very real question. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a very sad and legitimately real question. Um, and then, you know, the question of it, I know we're right up against the clock here and I appreciate uh, your time again. And once again, listeners, we're talking to Will Bardwell uh, of lying4.com. Go out to lying4.com and read his article, uh, Blind Men and Blood. Uh, there was always this thought of, you know, oh, we're just uh, journalists are just going to pump up these guys because we don't want to lose access. We don't want to piss off Tiger Woods. We don't want to do anything like that so that they will never talk to us anymore. This seems even greater than that. And to your point, if will these journalists be hand chosen? And if so, is that a contract that you would even want? You know, I mean, that's, and I ask that rhetorically, of course, it's an interesting time. And I'm not sure how you feel about how this is all playing out for golf in general, but I can't imagine that this is uh, quote unquote, growing the game. No, but also that's not what they care about. Right. You know, the, for everything we've heard about people associated with this effort who, and fall back on that idea like, well, we're taking golf to a part of the world where it hasn't uh, existed before. Um, That's not what this is about at all. Uh, This is strictly about polishing the image of a country that is one of the world's gravest human rights offenders. You know, if, if that wasn't, a byproduct of this, they wouldn't be interested in it. It's the only thing they're interested in. 
And um, again, I, I don't know how you tell the story of, of what this is, what, what's going on without openly acknowledging that at, at every breath. Yeah, well put. Thank you, my friend. We'll be in touch as we are uh, very often. You it, man. And, uh, I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate you coming. I will do it again soon. Rock and roll, dude.